Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we'll be exploring the life of the great astronomer and mystic of the second half of the 19th and early part of the 20th century in France, Camille Flammarion. With me is Dr. Carlos Alvarado. Carlos is probably the foremost authority on the history of psychical research. He has published over 300 papers on this subject. He is past president of the Parapsychological Association and is also the recipient from that association of a lifetime career award. And now, I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Carlos. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. It's my pleasure being here. So we'll be talking about Camille Flammarion. Uh, I think most people are these days since he died nearly a century ago are, are not so much aware of him but uh, i think of him during his lifetime sort of being the the carl sagan of his era especially uh, in france that's true i think that's a good way of of remembering him he was similar to carl sagan you know he was an astronomer and he was very prolific and was extremely well known not only in scientific circles, but also in popular culture. I understand he wrote uh, about 50 books. Yes, he, he wrote a lot of books, mainly about astronomy. Most of them were addressed to the general public, because one of his main interests was to spread knowledge about astronomy, who he considered astronomy to be the mother of all sciences. And uh, as an astronomer, he saw himself as a student, not only of planets and stars, but of human nature in general. That involved psychology, anthropology, and, and many other disciplines. Of course, he's still remembered in the field of astronomy. I understand there are asteroids named after him and some of his family members. There are, uh, is a crater on the moon, and I believe even a crater on Mars named after him. Yes, that's that's true, and uh, there is also a lot of work in the, on the history of astronomy, and also the history of of the combination of literature and science, in which Flammarion is always mentioned because he had a very interesting style of engaging the his, his readers to get into his materials, you know, and when he talk about about the planet, about the moon, about the stars, or other topics, because he also wrote about fiction involving uh, traveling through the planets. He, he, he really made a mix of literature and science that people found very appealing at that time, and I think probably still today. Since we're on the new Thinking Aloud channel that focuses on psychical research and parapsychology, uh, it's important to point out to our viewers he was very active as a psychical researcher, and I think it would be fair to say he was something of a mystic himself. 
Yes, uh, that is true, especially, you know, early on, he was not only studying the phenomena, but he tried to practice uh, what he was reading. When he started the movement of spiritism in France in the early 1860s, was developing with the, under the leadership of Allan Kardec. And uh, Flammarion formed part of Kardec's circle. And in fact, he was a medium himself. At one point in around 1861, he published some uh, communications that were signed as Galileo. And uh, later on, he revealed that that was himself, you know, writing about cosmology, about the planets, about all kinds of things. But the point is that being an astronomer, he also got involved into spiritism and practiced automatic writing. He spent a great deal of his career trying to find out to his own satisfaction whether the spirits that came through uh, mediums, including himself, were real or whether they were a product of the subconscious mind. Yeah, that is true. He he went through different periods in his very early writings, the 1860s. That's when he starts uh, writing books about spiritism and his own experiences with French mediums. Uh, he he's very clear that he believes in the soul, in the that he's he doesn't believe in the current materialistic approach of science, and uh, but that he is trying to prove these things scientifically that he's different from a lot of the other spirits that were all, were not so concerned with proving the phenomena but he, he wanted to show through science that they were real mm -hmm. and my understanding carlos is that he got caught up in in a dilemma which is still confronting psychical researchers and parapsychologists today the possibility that all of the communications coming through mediums even if they're highly accurate could be the result of uh, what some people call living agent psi the ESP telepathy ability of the medium uh, himself or herself yeah, that is true, especially in his later writings, he became a little more skeptical and wrote that he believed that a lot of the communications received from mediums were the result of subconscious creativity from the part of the medium. One of the things that he paid particularly attention because of his background as an astronomer were those communications that involved other planets life in other planets and things. You know, when he, when he was young, around that time, the several communications became very popular about life in Jupiter. And there were spirits that used to live on Earth that were living now supposedly in Jupiter. And uh, he talks about, about those uh, things, and they, those things were published originally in the 1850s, and he's writing later, around 1907, where he's already convinced that this is uh, the product of what he called like a, a subconscious reflex, Me meaning, you know, an automatic action of the medium's mind embedded in the context of interest in, uh, in life in other planets, and that that was not really a, a spirit phenomenon. Of course, if for other types of communications and with certain mediums, he was more positive about spirit intervention. 
I understand he even developed a, a kind of cosmology in, involving reincarnation and the idea that uh, uh, our evolution as sentient beings uh, entailed being born on different planets. Yes, and, and he especially addressed that in his fiction. He had a, a lot of his fiction, I think, was expressing what he really believed. But he wrote exactly like that, that there was reincarnation took place, and it was not only here on planet Earth, but took place in other planets. So, you know, so, so our spirits will appear, manifest in other planets. And, and there was a very dynamic, uh, complex interaction between spirits living here and spirits in other planets. And uh, he, he was a, a very good writer, so he became extremely popular at the time because of that. Because he was closely associated with Kardec, it's interesting that he also promoted the idea of reincarnation. My, I could be wrong about this. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but is, isn't it the case that the uh, spiritists of the Kardec tradition were not particularly inclined toward reincarnation? No, actually, Kardec and his school believed very strongly in reincarnation. There were other spiritists from different schools from Kardec that were his competitors. Also, Kardec is considered by historians to, to have won the battles because, you know, he was more prolific and he was more influential. But from, from the very beginning, he accepted reincarnation. His system was that of studying communications, spirit communications from different mediums and then putting them all together <coughs> and ask questions very actively asking questions, getting answers. And his first books are basically question and answer, question and answer. And so he asks about reincarnation and asks, you know, how did it happen? Is it limited to planet Earth? And the answer will come saying, no, it's not limited to planet Earth. It can happen in other planets, different types of spirits and, and so forth. So when, uh, when Flammarion comes in contact with Kardec, he starts absorbing that, which, of course, it was that was not original completely with Kardec. There is a longer historical tradition in France about ideas of reincarnation that, that were have been published, you know, before. And, of course, as you know, going back to, to antiquity. Oh, well, I stand corrected then. Thank you for that. Um, and... Flammarion actually also got involved in uh, sitting in on seances with some famous mediums from his era. And, uh, uh, for example, he, he was involved in the investigation of Eusebia Palladino, who was a very famous medium of uh, the early 20th century, uh, late 19th century. Yeah, that, that's true. Palladino was an Italian medium. But she became so, so well known and that scientists and all kinds of people from all around, especially in Europe, were looking for her uh, to have seances with her. Uh, Flammarion hosted her in France in 1897. And uh, he published at the time and later a lot of what happened there. And he became completely convinced that the phenomena that Paladino produced, which were mainly uh, physical phenomena, 
table levitations, materializations of hands, uh, cold breezes, lights floating in the sense room. He became convinced that all those things really happened and uh, became a very strong defender of the medium. But he helped to popularize her because uh, not only in his book, but he also in in a lot of what now perhaps we will call popular magazines of the time, he, he published uh, several accounts that were widely circulated. And she was already quite controversial, I understand, at that point. Other people were uh, accusing her of fraud. Yeah, no, that's true. And, and there is no question that she committed fraud. You know, she, she was found in fraud on different occasions. A lot of the accusations were unfounded. They were by people that had not even had seances with her. But those that sat with her on occasion documented her fraud. Uh, she was basically sitting in a, around a table and her two hands were controlled by people on each side. By control, I mean that they, they will take her hand and hold it like this. And what ha happened on many occasions was that she became kind of very adept in releasing one of those hands. And since the senses, most of the senses with her, not all, were in, in darkness, but people could not see that one of her hands was out. And with the, that hand, he will go and touch people in the face, will pull their hair, will raise the table. Yeah, he will do that. She will do it. But then there are also many occasions where they were sure that they were controlling her. And and they will say, I have the, ha the right hand, I have the left hand, I'm, I'm controlling the right and the left leg. And still phenomena will happen. And sometimes things will happen far away from the table, you know, from behind a curtain on the other side of the room. So I will say that there was pretty good evidence that things really happen, physical things, movement of objects, table levitations, and hands will sometimes appear from behind a curtain, will be seen faces, will, will appear. Those were the so-called materialization phenomena that she was not really a very strong materialization medium because she very rarely pro produced, according to the witnesses, full phantoms, you know, full forms, as happened with many other mediums like Didi Hume and many others. But but there were appearances in the seance room. And Flammarion was very, very much convinced that that she was real, even though when in one of his books he devotes a, a lot of sections to present evidence for fraud, you know, people that he brought to the seances, he invited to come to his home, uh, will write accounts, and he encouraged that if they have seen anything fraudulent, as, as some of them did, send him the account and that he will publish it. And in one of his, in one of his books, uh, in, in English it's called Mysterious Psychic Forces, that appeared in 1907. There is a lot of detailed information about this. It's fascinating because you have the things that are clearly fraudulent, but then you have some other phenomena that a simple hand, you know, releasing from 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 the table and touching someone really could not account for what was reported. 
many psychical researchers came to the conclusion that just because a medium is caught committing fraud, it doesn't mean that that person always commits fraud, that there's at least a, a possibility that other phenomena, especially under better controlled conditions, were legitimate. Yeah, that is true. There was a lot of controversy about that at the time, and Flammarion was one of those that, that firmly believed that, that, yes, there is fraud, but there is a lot more that is clearly real, and that he explained by some type of projection of energy from the body of, of Paladino. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that uh, Flammarion is most famous for, and, and uh, actually I suppose probably all of our viewers have seen what is known as the Flammarion engraving. I'm going to post it right now. It's It's been widely publicized throughout the world. Most people probably don't know that, uh, at least uh, in terms of actual publication, it originated with Flammarion. Yeah, that's that's true. That that uh, was uh, published in one of his books, and it has been used uh, widely after that because it it really shows like the someone you know discovering a new world, expanding their their horizons about what reality and what are what is possible. That all of a sudden you're looking out into a whole new world where what you thought was impossible is possible and there is so much that that you stand aghast, you know, completely surprised. And I, I suppose if one were to sort of characterize Flammarion's career, it would be, uh, it's about opening people up to other possibilities and in science and also in the world of spiritism. Yes, that, that's true. He was always trying to do that. And since he was so much of a prolific writer, he was able to convey his viewpoint all really all around the world. He had a huge correspondence from people from all around, from Asia, the United States, from almost everywhere that will read his things in astronomy and also his uh, works on, on psychic phenomena. And Right today, he probably is not that well known as a psychic researcher, but in his days, and uh, he died in 1925, you know, he lived between 1842 to 1925. In his days, he was amazingly uh, well known to the point that, you know, people could send a letter and just said, Camille Flammarion, Paris, and he will get to him. Because, you know, he was so well known in the media, all around, in theater, in the scientific world. Uh, he had so many uh, social connections. That's why he was able to publish all around, because he knew a lot of the editors of the main intellectual reviews of the time. No, And, and even though some of them were skeptical, say, about psychic phenomena, they respected him, and they knew that he was a good writer and will give them good articles that will help their magazine. So that also helped him uh, to to publish and to disseminate the views that that there is a lot that science really doesn't cannot explain. And he was very clear that he was a lover of science, and he clearly said so. But he also said, "But we have our limits as scientists, and we need to continue, keep working, keep observing, keeping our mind open to learn more about the universe." That was one, probably his his main message. 
Of course, practically everybody in the field of psychical research and parapsychology have critics who say, you know, these people are way too credulous. And uh, certainly Flammarion had critics of that sort as well. How do you evaluate his, his credibility as an observer of uh, psychic phenomena? Well, I think he was a good observer in when it came to sense room phenomena. You know, his his reports are are fairly good. There there may be times where you wish for more detail, but that applies to to almost you know every every report of, of the time. Who where he has been more criticized is on his case collection studies. One of the things that he became well known, and that was like between 1900 to the early 1920s, was for publishing cases of telepathy, of precognitive dreams, of apparitions, of, that he and he published them in great number. For example, he had a book in 1900 that in English was translated as The Unknown. And the whole point of the, of the book was to present a lot of letters that he had received. He received over, over 7,000 letters when he appealed for cases, the phenomena related to death. Have you heard a voice close to a moment someone you knew died, an apparition that you have seen, something, a physical event? He was very keen on reporting the physical effects like objects falling, clock stopping, at the moment that someone had died. And he received a lot of letters and he produced this book. In the book, he used only about se over 700 of those letters. And the book is, is full of accounts that are amazing. Uh, many of them are very similar to the accounts that, that we got in later eras and that we still get today, if, if you look for them. I presume that he didn't do uh, with these cases what I think was done in, in England at the Society for Psychical Research, which is to go out and investigate each one to see if there are additional witnesses or independent corroboration. That's true. And that, that's why you can criticize him that he really took the accounts that he received on their face value. According to, he will read and see who's writing and if the person sounded serious, respectable, and uh, yeah, it looked all right. He didn't do anything else. In England, and the Society for Psychical Research, they had developed a methodology of questioning everything. So when they will get a case, not only would they look at who is the person and the social standing, but they will try to find out if they were witnesses to the account and if the things that they are saying could be verified independently. Like if they talk about a ship having an accident and that someone died in, in that ship and that person that died there appear as an apparition, one of the things they will do is not only get the account of the apparition, they will try to corroborate that such ship sank at that time and where did it sank and what were the, what was the nature of the accident? Basically to have evidence saying yes, there was this, this sinking and it happened around the time the person said it did. So they put that together with all the different types of corroboration and they develop a method of trying to support these cases. And a lot of them are very well supported. Framarion did not do that. 
He just published the cases. And once in a while, he will say, well, I have not followed this up, but they all are so similar. And the people are so honest that he believed that the material could speak for itself, you know. And there were, of course, differences of opinion. Uh, some of them will criticize him strongly, saying that these are just stories with no nothing behind them. But the stories are very valuable in, in different ways, even if evidentially you will you can criticize them. They provide a lot of information about the variety of psychic experiences, the richness of these experiences, and sometimes even the impact these experiences were having on people. Because in, in the letters, usually someone will say, now I'm firmly convinced about the existence of the human soul. And, and they will thank him and they will say, oh, master, because, you know, they were very respectful, treat him a, him a, a as if he was their teacher, we we are grateful for to you to for to be doing this type of work. I think many of them consider him to be doing very important social work for for the spiritual sense of the country. I, I have not seen anyone saying it in this way, but I I think that's that's what a lot of people felt and that guided and inspired him to go forward. Well, he was, I suppose, to a large degree, a popularizer, but uh, he was also, uh, as I recall, elected to the presidency of the uh, Society for Psychical Research in England. So they must have uh, respected his intellect. Yeah, that is true. Not, not everyone, even though he was criticized in the proceedings of the society in London, uh, they elected him, I believe it was in 1923. And uh, he delivered a presidential address, which was printed in French. It's very different. You know, the times are very different in those days. A lot of the intellectuals that were part of the society will read uh, French. And uh, so things were printed in that in other languages, especially French. And uh, yeah, as you say, yeah, many of them respected him and recognized that his service to the cause of, of psychic phenomena, because he certainly made the topic very well known in France and in, and in, in other places, and documented, at least, even if not very carefully with testimony in terms of the experiences, what he published in terms of the variety of experiences, I would say is still valuable today. I, I find very useful to go through through some of his books. He, he published a three-volume work. Later on, he still had some letters that he had not used. And even after the original letters that he got, people will keep writing to him because he was so well-known and interested in these topics that they kept sending him dreams and uh, haunted uh, accounts of haunted places and the like. In this book called Death and Its Mystery, it's a book with three volumes. And it's full of experiences that happen at different moments related to death. Volume one is before death. Volume two is at the moment of death, while people were dying. And volume three is after death. And one of the points that he makes there is that in this continuum of experiences in terms of death, uh, all the experiences are basically the same, either during life, at the moment of death, or after, and after could be days or weeks or, or longer periods, the apparitions or 
whatever the phenomena was, it, or they are all very similar. And he very actively and very uh, clearly defends that these things show the existence of the soul and that what we have learned from the sciences, this materialistic philosophy that he said that we have in our time. I think it's significant because uh, probably in his era in the late 19th, early 20th century was sort of uh, in many ways the height of uh, materialistic metaphysics within the scientific community. Yeah, that, that is true. And his whole work in many ways is, is basically fighting that. And he was not shy. If, I, if anything, you know, he was, he was very, he expressed himself very well and he expresses himself forcefully with a lot of metaphors, with a lot of, of analogies from different aspects of science, mainly physics and astronomy. So he was in a very good position uh, to do that. Well, another unusual thing about him, as I recall, in spite of his enormous prominence as a scientist and a literary figure, uh, he, if I recall correctly, he didn't have a, a, a formal higher education. Yeah, that's true. He, he never was from early on. He received some basic education, but he never received any advanced education at all. Not, not what at the time, other people had university education, uh, as we have now. He did not receive any of that. Nonetheless, he seems to be so highly intelligent and creative and also so highly driven. That's something that really comes through all his writing. That he kept moving on, you know, from early on where he was very young in his 20s, he started doing presentations in scientific forums. He started uh, publishing and uh, one thing led to another, and uh, after publishing a few books, you know, he became widely known, and then other doors, you know, started to open, and uh, he became extremely influential. What would you regard as his most important contribution? Well, for me, it's the, the collections of cases. Even though they can be questions in terms of, of evidentiality, you know, not having details to prove the, the experiences. It seems to me that, that his contribution is more about the variety and the scope of, of this type of experiences. When I'm looking even today for examples of, of this type of experiences, that's one of the first places that I go. Because his ex the experiences he has are very clearly reported, are quite dramatic, and are so similar from one among the other that you you can basically I don't know I, I I tend to think that many of them were real, and it's just that he didn't do the investigation that other people uh, would do. But I I think that's his main contribution, showing that this at at the time that he was living. All these experiences were happening uh, wildly. As they happened before, as I think they, they are happening now, it just takes someone with the time and the energy to, to collect them and then do, some, do something with them. But I think we can remember him as, as showing us that the human experience really is much wider than what science you know, accepts, then as well as now. And I would argue that that is the, the main contribution that he left us.
And I suppose it's fair to say that his methodology of collecting cases and sorting them into different categories uh, it basically uh, was, or at least possibly, an inspiration for the later work by Louisa Rhine, which was quite similar. Yeah, that's true. Louisa Rhine uh, had a, a similar methodology. She didn't follow up the cases like the Society for Psychical Research people did. He, he was more like Flammarion in that she got uh, letters. Sometimes she corresponded with people, but she didn't do that much in, in that sense. And yet she was still able to find patterns and all kinds of recurrent features in the cases. And that's very important when you study any phenomena, you know, any, any natural phenomena, if it's really happening, it will have similarities in, from account to account, also some differences. And by classifying and cataloging all those facts, we start learning about the world, about the, the psychic world, just as we learn about the physical world, you know, observing stars, observing birds, minerals, rocks, whatever. It's a, it's a question of, of using the material that you have in the best way and giving it the respect of our human experience that it deserves. And now that I think about it, as I recall, you worked uh, with the late Rhea White, uh, who founded the Journal of Exceptional Human Experiences, uh, doing very similar work. Yeah, that's true. I Yeah, I knew Rhea. She was doing very important work. I did what I could to, to support her work early on, you know, when she was starting her journal and 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 the study of experiences. In a way, yes, yeah, she's, she's also she was also following in that tradition. First, you know, listening to what people have to say, which I think is very important and, and is something that when we read Flammarion is is something that we should, if we remember something about him, is that listen to people, treat them respectfully, and then try to see what you can get from these experiences. For him, it was a strong argument of showing that the soul really existed, and because if not, you could not explain any any of these experiences. But there are other things that you can also learn about uh, human psychology, you know, the way the mind processes information, the the different types of manifestation, even when you focus only on the physical events that Flammarion was so well known for, you know, portraits that will fall, and then you find out that someone in your family died at that moment, clocks that will stop. That, those are things that are you know, we all have heard of cases like that, but very few people, Flammarion being, being one of the few from the old days, collected those cases and tried to make something about it. Most people just say, oh, yeah, these things are reported. But I think he he gives us the message even from the old days of saying, pay attention to the more can we can be done. And I'm convinced that now you have the resources and the time that you could do now even more than he did. You know, if if, if, I, if if I could get thousands of those cases or just a few hundred, you know, they could be put into the computer, do analysis of, of the content, who who had it in what circumstance and the like, and do mo even much more than what Flammarion did in his time. Not a critique of him, you know. I, I think what he did was proper and enough for his time period. 
But I'm, I'm just saying that a lot of these historical materials, I think sometimes also transcend their particular time period. They have implications for us today. They can inspire us to do more and move forward. Yes, we perhaps uh, apply some of the techniques for analyzing big data. <laughs> yes. Well, Dr. Carlos Alvarado, this has been a, a pleasure discussing with you one of the uh, great founders of the discipline of uh, psychical research. And uh, I'm looking forward to having many more discussions with you. You're, uh, to my knowledge, probably uh, the most well-informed and certainly one of the most well-informed people alive today about this important history of parapsychology and psychical research. So thank Thank you so much for being with me. Oh, thank you. I have really enjoyed sharing these moments with you. 